I want to bring the message together today, bring it to a climax, and uh, we've been talking about what the church is, and I made some, some big statements, and I'm going to review them in a minute, but I couldn't help, I, I, found, a, uh, I found a little video clip of, of one of the guys in our church uh, who doesn't come that often, and so I thought I'd show you a clip first. So why don't you go to Mass? Come on, look, it's not like I never go, right? And you go all the time, and, and according to this married thing, we are one. Okay. Now, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to make a big thing. I was just thinking about you and your father and, you know, why you got so angry about it. Because it's none of his business. Why don't you go to church? I don't know. I, it's, it's because of the kneeling, really. It's just, you know I have bad knees. <laughs> You know, God can hear you right now. Let me finish. All right? That's not the only reason. That's it's one of them. All right, listen. When I, go, when I go there, I should be thinking about God, right? Instead, I'm thinking about some column I'm working on. What's up with this guy's scalp? Oh, oh, that lady sneezed. I'm not shaking her hand. I'm not focused. I feel like I'm just going through the motions, and that's, that's not respectful, right? Yeah, you're right. I mean, you shouldn't go if you're just going through the motions. What are you doing? What? I'm agreeing with you. No, you're trying to make me feel guilty. No, I'm not. You're just like my mother. Why do you have to insult me? <laughs> We're talking. And besides, you're the one that had to eat a whole pint of ice cream. If you're feeling guilty, it's not because of me. Let me tell you something. I practice being a good person every day, okay? I'm a decent fellow. I, I do good things. I, I, I always leave a big tip. If a, if a squirrel runs in front of the car, do I not swerve? I, I'm considerate of people's feelings. Remember the plumber who came over with the big eye? I treated him like a completely normal person. Okay, so, so, so why do I have to go to church every Sunday to prove my goodness? I'm living it. Well, you know, since you are so good during the week, maybe on Sundays we should have everybody come over here and sit around you. Okay. All right. Why, why do you go, Miss Holy Moly? Why do I go? Yeah. I go, you know, to thank God for you and the kids and to pray for the strength to get through another week with you and the kids. Okay. Yeah. No, but, right. no, really. You know, I, I go to get re-energized, to be part of something that's bigger than me and my little problems. You know, it reminds me that I'm not the be-all and end-all or something out there that's greater than me. Why do you have to have an answer for everything? <laughs> How many of you know that guy? Huh? How many of you are that guy? Is that... All right. Um, so here's what we're trying to talk about with the church. Um, it takes it's so much work to try to get us all to unlearn something. And 
There, you know, he, he, he provides the stereotypical American idea of what church is. It's a thing that you go to on Sunday for an hour that you endure to hopefully make God happy and get the guilts off of you, and then you can go on with the important stuff of your life. And if that's all it really is, then, uh, boy, you know, count me out as well. But what we've been trying to say during this series is that's not what the church is. Um, I use the example of a huddle, right? This, if this is a football team, the, the gathering on Sunday is only the huddle. It doesn't matter how good you are at the huddle. It doesn't matter if you're the most respectful person at the huddle, if you're always early for the huddle. It doesn't matter how you huddle in circles or rows. What matters is if when the huddle is broken, when church is over, that you run the play, that you do your thing in the world. And the, the play is way more important than the huddle. And the play is the function of the church. The huddle is the form of the church, right? And form should follow what? Oh my goodness, did I miss it that bad? Form always follows function. It, it, what's important is the play. That we're doing the thing in the world that Christ wanted us to do. And the best way to, to understand what the church is, is the church is the continuation of Christ. The church is the continuation of Christ. Acts chapter 1. In my former book, O Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. What he began. One, two, three. He What was his former book? The book of Luke. It was the gospel of Jesus. The story of Christ. What he began. Now he says, I'm writing my sequel. That's his introduction to the book of Acts, which is a sequel to the book of Luke. Luke, the story of Jesus, acts the story of the church. The church is the sequel to Jesus. That's why Paul gives the nickname the body of Christ. His body isn't here. His body is gone. Now, we're it. We're the plan. That's it, I know. This is what we're talking about. The church is the body of Christ. And therefore, I'm going to say something that if you're a skeptic or if you're a Ray Romano or if you are uh, a doubter or any, any of these, this is going to make you roll your eyes. And so before you roll your eyes, hear me out. Before you roll your eyes, hear me out. How many will do that? Okay. Ready? I woke up early in the morning the other day and I wrote this. The church is the answer. And the hope. The church is where the action is. Before you roll your eyes, hear me out. What if we set the word church aside? What a loaded word that is. If I just took the word church aside and I used the word club. Friends, I want you to join my club. Oh, clubs are cool. I like to be invited to a club. Anybody, anybody belong to a club of any kind? Huh? Soccer, hockey, basketball, golf. Okay. Club. Euchre club. Club. What if we call it a club? All of a sudden, it has some intrigue to us, doesn't it? What kind of club is it, Chris? Well, it's a club that has a mission to make our world a better place. 
That's the mission of your club? Yeah. Actually, you know, I'd, I'd be interested in doing that. Really? Fantastic. What if the mission of the club was to the betterment of the world, to change the world, ready, by first being changed ourselves? That is to say, we wouldn't just jump to the conclusion that we need to go fix all those people out there, but we need to also participate in what? Growing ourselves here. So we propose through this club to change our world by first being changed ourselves. Our goal is no shorter than for love to reign on planet Earth because it reigns in every human heart. Everybody wants love to reign on the earth. Would you join that club? Would you commit to that club? Not because you had to, not because there's any threat involved, but because you felt it, because you wanted to. What if we called that club a gym? A gym for your soul. What if it was a thing that you, you went to so that you, you and your, your, yourself and your heart and your mind and your soul, you could grow and become a more expansive person, a healthier, a whole person, and then because of that, it spilled into the world around you. Some of you know, years ago, I nicknamed our church a gym for the soul. So I'm still wrestling what to answer people when they ask me, what do you do for a living? And I want to say I'm a trainer of sorts. <laughs> but have you ever seen... People at the gym, you know that, that new commercial out with the guys, in there? I think it's Geico, they're lifting weights, huh? Bro ham, bro tater chip, Teddy Roosevelt. have you seen this one? And the guy's lifting weights and he's just, you, you got to watch that one, all right? And he's just getting so ripped and his muscles are rippling on his head. And, and this is what it makes me think of. The gym is good, it provides a purpose, and here's the purpose, to get you healthy so that you can enjoy life to its maximum and participate fully in life. Whether it's the gym or whatever you do, if you do something for your physical body, to me, the purpose is so that you can enjoy your kids or your grandkids or fully participate in life. The gym should never be an end to itself, where the only reason that you go there is to just be big and bulky and bulkier than the people that are around you. And what I've seen people do with church is they make it an end to itself. They talk about how much scripture they know. They talk about how holy they are. They bulk up, bro ham, bro tater chip, and they want to let everybody know how well they do at the huddle. And this is the thing I'm trying to get across in this series. Who cares how you huddle? Who cares how good you are at it? Who cares how much you go to church? Who cares if you're on time or late? I know some of you are late every single Sunday. <laughs> what, I'm, what we need to be passionate about, please, friends, is we have to be passionate about running the play. That's what matters. Some guy is on the bench and he talks about how well he attended the huddle. And you're like, yeah, bro, but you fell down when I threw you the pass. We need the church to be involved in the world. 
Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And so when we are getting it right, we're not just good at gathering. The church has almost made an idol of herself. And we focus so much on the form. Now, I want to read from the beginning because a lot of people in America have what Ray Romano has in his mind about church. But I want to read from the beginning how it got started, what it was like. Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So they were committed to this club. Um, by, the word, by the way, the word they would have used was an assembly. Ecclesia. If that helps. Bro, you want an ecclesia with me this Sunday? Now listen. They were, they were filled with awe. It says believers were together and had things in common. They, so you get the idea that they're having meals and they were sharing things. And it says every day they met together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Today's form looks nothing like that. People talk about a church as a building. It's an hour on Sunday. It's a thing that you do and then you leave and you evaluate. This was like a family. And it, the sense that you get, well, you would ask, well, what time? What time are your services? Well, it doesn't say what time their services are. Is it on their website? Do they have a cross? I'm not going if they don't have a cross on their building. Where did we get all of... I know, I know. Sorry, I stuck one on a couple of you. Uh, where, where did we get all these modern-day forms? They're just things that have been invented over the years. It says that they met in homes. What we know from history is they met in caves. Right now, there are people meeting in homes right now. They're on- online. They're in Nashville, Tennessee right now. Right now, there's people in California right now. Right now, there's people in garages and apartment buildings right now. Do they get credit? This has gotten so bad that literally there are people that come to this church to listen and learn, and they go to another church to get credit. That's a lot of work. God bless you. God love you. You know what I mean? Like... I, and I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm, I mean, I, I know that's where a lot of people are, but like, this isn't legit with the genes. And you got to go somewhere to a form to quote, get credit. And wherever we got this idea of it's a place that you go to get credit. And so here's the thing that we've been talking about. We gather to grow, to be challenged, to be changed, to be sharpened, to rub into each other, to feel God's presence in a new way, where two or three gather, right? If you're gathering together in a home right now, two or three, that's good enough. You're sanctioned. People always ask me when I started, well, well, what kind of church is it? And they were kind of asking, like, who sanctioned you? What a good question. Because you're just starting off, you have a church, it's like there's nobody. I'm like, just want, I just want to rent a building. We're starting, well, well, what kind of church are you? And I go, uh, I have an answer. And then like, well, who sent you? Like, who? I'm like, 
nobody? Right? Oh, I know the spiritual answer. I say God, because you know, how can you argue with that? Well, God sent me, right? But do you see where it gets like, well, this is official and this is not official. This counts and this doesn't count. Would it count if you're busy? You just got to get your family together on the side of the road and you say a prayer. Do you see where we've lost our way? We focus way too much on the form and not the function. Running the play, doing the stuff, being Christ, continuing his work in the world. Jesus actually talked about the day when we wouldn't need forms. John chapter 4, there's the story of the woman at the well. And, and really the whole thing with the Jews and the Samaritans in those days was the Jews said, you've got to worship on this mountain. And the Samaritans said, no, you've got to worship over in this mountain. And the Jews said, no, it's the temple. And then and the Samaritans said, no, it's, it's, it's over here. And Jesus says very clearly, the day's going to come in when you're going to get past all of that. It doesn't matter which mountain, which church, which steeple, which... But you'll worship in spirit and in truth. Because God is spirit. Friends, God's, I, I hate to break it to some of you, but God's not Baptist. It's a heartbreaker for a couple of you. Uh, he's not Catholic. Right? He's not evangelical. He's not Pentecostal. God is spirit. So what, what he looks for is just worship in spirit and in truth, the form is not what matters. But I think the thing, if there's anything that gets frustrating with Jesus and the prophets and Paul and all, is that we, we got we to gotta do the function. It's easy to hide behind the form. It's easy to get in the huddle and get down low and have a jersey on. It's a lot harder to get on the line and get smashed in the mouth. It's a lot harder to go out into our world and push against the darkness. It's a lot harder to be God's voice and witness in our world. It's a lot harder to forgive your neighbor. That's the hard stuff. Actually, coming to church is easy when you think about it. And that's why a lot of people have settled for that. It's a low price of admission when they calculate, I can still be this person Monday through Saturday. I'll just come in and endure an hour. Get blessed and get back out there. The church was forced, the early church was forced to abandon and innovate all their different ways of meeting. The temple was destroyed about 30 years after Christ. That was where they gathered. Even the, the Christians were mostly Jewish anyway. And so they had to scatter. They had to find new places. But what Jesus was teaching them was, I am with you always. Wherever you go, I am there. Where two or three are gathered, I am there with you. And so today, this is so important. You think about this. Are we going to die on the hill of what form it takes? Some of you have already broken away from a form that your parents or grandparents, right? And you're scared to talk to them at Thanksgiving. You're going to get quizzed. Did you do this? Have you gotten the kids baptized the right way? Have you done, right? And you don't want you to avoid them. You go in the other room and you, you go downstairs because they, they are locked on a form. But think about this. What about the next generation? 
Do you want them to get obsessed about the form or do you want them to be passionate about the function of the church? I think in some ways we're at a crossroad. The generation that's leaving church, but what they're leaving is the form. And this generation that's coming up is passionate about the function. They don't care if you label it church. They don't care about that. They're getting together to talk about how to change the world, how to continue Christ. And we're fighting with them over how well they huddle. What an opportunity for us to be at the front edge and to say something to this next generation. To say, you know what, son, you know what, daughter, I don't care how you huddle. What I care is two things. That your heart is changed, conformed to Christ. Right? What we always say here is that we remember the main thing. That love, right, takes priority and dominance in your life. That in everything that you do, you act out of love. That you act from a loving heart. And that you share that love with the world. The gathering, this is important, the gathering is to grow. I talked about it's so important to gather. Why? Because just like when I go to the gym, I I work out differently when I'm with somebody else. I just do. Most of you know this. Someone's there pushing you. Someone's encouraging you. Someone's training you. When we get together, God knew this. it's, it's, It's valuable. It's vital that you on your island. How many ever get lost in your own thoughts? I got all day. Every one of you. Lost. Like you're, how many are making up whole conversations and stories and you had a whole argument with somebody that doesn't even exist? <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm going to say this. I'm gonna, right? And we're doing, we do these things. Why? We, we need other people to sharpen us. So the gathering is vital, not because we need to get credit from God or to get the pastor off our back or to make ourselves feel good or not guilty. The gathering is vital because it snaps the rust off of us. It forces us to think. It challenges us. The friction of running into another person. Think about this. What if we had a club like that? What would you want to name it? Now you start to realize, I guess the name doesn't matter. When should we get together? All clubs get together. And you say, well, I guess that doesn't matter either. Why don't we meet on Sunday? What the hay? You meet on Saturday? You meet on Tuesday? But when it gets difficult is when people decide that being in the club is more important than doing what the club's about. The story that's often told about this rescue station at a lighthouse. And uh, there were a lot of boats that would crash into the rocks. It was a very, very choppy uh, waters. And off of this coast, boats were constantly going down. And so a few guys got together and said, you know, let's put together a rescue club. And they did. Rough nails, boards, leaned up against each other, a place to store their things. 
And they would go out at rough sea and capture people whose boats have been broken, who are in danger of drowning. And they bring them in. Half lifeless, they would revive these people. Constantly focused, and they would tell stories about people's lives that they would save in this little lean-to shack of a club. After a while, some more people wanted to join. Those that had been rescued decided they wanted to join too. And as they got more members, they got a little stronger, and they decided, you know, we should have a little nicer place. So they tore down the lean-to, and they built themselves a nice structure, a firm one, one that wouldn't let the weather in. And someone said, you know, we ought to have some refreshments here. Oh, they added a kitchen and dinette, huh? a little mini bar. Next thing you know, they thought, well, you know, we should, while we're waiting, we should have some entertainment. So they started to provide a television, some entertainment. Next thing you know, those that were in the club found themselves attracted to the building, the entertainment, the refreshments, and lost focus of what? Those that were drowning. All the while very proudly wearing their letterman jacket. The club that they were a part of. The point's pretty easy, isn't it? It doesn't matter what the club looks like or where the club it matters if the club is on the mission. The church can be the hope of the world, and here's why. The church focuses on the redemption of the human heart. Any attempt to change our world, any attempt to make real and lasting change, as valid as they are, as amazing as they are, and as good as all these organizations and, and initiatives are, they can, you can start a political party, you can be for this, you can be for that. But what it really comes down to, what it always comes down to, is real change in our world always begins right here. The changing of the human heart. Maybe that's why Jesus says, you'll never see the kingdom of God unless you get born again. Unless there's a rebirth. Unless there's a whole new you. You can be on the right team. You can have the right cause. You can have the right political party. And when the hearts are not changed, the hearts are not redeemed, it falls short. My hope for our church, for our little ecclesia, our mini-family, is that we are always committed to two things. The redemption of the human heart. Each one of us committed to growing and changing ourselves. As one spiritual writer put it this way, be the change you want to see in the world. Be the change you want to see in our world. First and foremost, I'm committed to growing myself. I'm not the person yet that I want to fully be, right? I'm growing to become that person. And second, we're not committed to just making the club nicer, but we're committed 
to changing our world. As we say, gather to grow and scatter to serve. We live in a world that needs you, the body, to serve, to do the kinds of things that Jesus did. That's why I think you should read the Gospels. What kind of stuff did Jesus do when he was here and there? He healed. He loved. He restored. He welcomed, right? He built bridges. These are the things that our world needs. A few years ago, um, Bright and I were in Malawi. We were driving on the road, and uh, we had a bunch of soccer balls that this community had gathered together to, to give to kids in Malawi. And so we're just driving down the road, and all of a sudden, we see some kids over on the right, and it looks like they're playing a game, and I couldn't tell what it was. And we pulled the, the, the bus over, and uh, turns out they were, they were playing soccer. But they don't play soccer with a soccer ball. They take a bunch of those little garbage bags that you guys get from Walmart, and they just wrap them together and keep wrapping them and wrapping them and wrapping them until they have a soccer ball. That's their soccer ball. And so we decided that we were going to give them one of ours. And I said, wait, 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 I want to go. Before we, get, before we give them ours, I said, I, I told Bright, I go, Bright, tell them I want to trade. Remember that, Bright? Bright takes him this brand new, beautiful soccer ball. And they, they look at him like he was crazy, right? For hand, he, They hand this. It's, it's in my office to this day. This little ball made of bread wrappers and Walmart bags. And it's there for me for a reminder what we're supposed to do in our world. What Jesus did in our world. He took the old and he gave the new. He took the anger and he gave the love. He took the hate and he gave the forgiveness. This is the change that Christ brought. It revolutionized our world. We are supposed to continue that revolution. 